This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. You're missing the con. We're bringing the con back to you one more time. It's episode 429 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Part two of my Comic-Con 2022 recap show is on, and this is where you get a lot of the interviews. So here we go. I'm going to have the cast and creative team behind Green Lantern Beware My Power from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. Also going to talk to French Stewart about Third Rock from the Sun. He was part of the Cozy TV experience. That was a wonderful one. I'll tell you more about that coming up. Also going to talk to Jessica B. Hagrafstein of She's the Funko Head of Communications. They're going to be talking about Funko this week. I also got to go to the Paper Girls premiere at Comic-Con. I'll tell, me, tell you my experience there. Catch you up on the biggest news from Comic-Con. We're also going to take a break from Comic-Con during the show as well to talk to the cast and creative team behind the new Apple TV Plus series, Surface. You know it's got to be good if I'm including this in my Comic-Con coverage, and it's not from Comic-Con at all. There's a reason for that. Trust me, and I'll get to that in just a second. But since there's a ton to get to, let's get right to it. The cast and creative team from Green Lantern Beware My Power joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Julie Nathanson from Far Cry 5, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Jon Stewart finally gets the spotlight. Green Lantern, Beware My Power, now available on digital HD, also 4K, Blu-ray, and all of those amazing options. And at Comic-Con this year, I get a chance to talk to not just the cast, but the creative teams behind Green Lantern, Beware My Power, about all of this amazing spotlight 
on Jon Stewart and some other characters as well. Actually starting things off with co-screenwriter Jon Semper, who you might remember from Static Shock and Spider-Man, the animated series. And he started off talking about how the writers found the voices for all of the different characters in this movie. Well, I think that that's, the, uh, that's what we do for a living, is you, you, you work from personality, you work from motivation, and every line that you write comes from that, personality and motivation, and circumstance, of course. So that's sort of writer 101. I think what's, what's fun is getting the right characters in the same room at the same time, you know, in the moment at the same time, and the friction that's caused or the attraction that's caused, that's what makes it worthwhile. So if you've got good, strong characters, which these are, you end up with a really great scene, a really great subplot, and a really great movie, hopefully. This particular stretch of Warner Brothers films is very dramatic. It's dramatically drawn, it's dramatically designed and animated, and, you know, I love it personally when I can just go for the drama of a situation, and I have characters that can support the drama of a situation. That's when it really works for me. Up next, how could I not ask about putting the spotlight on Jon Stewart? Speaking of which, what was it like to finally put a spotlight on a character like Jon Stewart that certainly has not gotten the spotlight that he's deserved up to this point? Well, that's the great gift, personally to me, actually, because he is DC's first real black superhero. For a whole generation of kids who watch Justice League on TV, he is their Green Lantern, so I think this is long overdue. For me as a black writer, you know, I'm the first real, I'm the first black writer for, for TV animation. I started my career 40 years ago. I was the first black showrunner when I did a series for Hasbro called Moon Dreamers and also a series for Jim Henson, Fraggle Rock. So for me, as a black writer, I am thrilled and delighted to be handling this significant black character. This is his 50th anniversary, I believe. It is my 40th anniversary exactly this year in the business. And this is uh, just a tremendous gift to me to be able to bring this character out and, and introduce him to a whole new generation. So I also asked about the villain in this movie. Don't worry, this is spoiler free. How did you all go about choosing the villain for your story? What's the process like for coming up with something like that? So there's a kind of a twist, and that was baked in from the start. We knew where, where we were going to end, and I love writing that way. Okay. I, I don't like figuring out an ending you know, while you're in the middle of it. There's a kind of a twist. And then Sinestro is just such a cool, easy villain uh, to have in, in a Green Lantern movie, so that was a pretty easy decision. Next up was co-screenwriter Ernie Altbacher, who was teamed up there with John Semper. And someone asked him, one of my good friends, journalist Josh Lappin Bertone, about the relationship between John Stewart and the ring in this movie. And I really thought that was a really important question. Here's Ernie. Look, we've read a lot of Green Lantern comics, and, and they always gloss over that part of space ring coming down and starting to talk to you. And mostly it's over in a page or two. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Let me start using it, right? And we're like, well, let's, it would probably be harder <laughs> than that. So we wanted to make more of a meal out of that. And, and I think that's, that's one of the things that, that worked out pretty well in this one, where you get some scenes and sequences of like, what would actually happen? What would actually happen if talking space ring was on your finger and wouldn't get off? We've seen other Lanterns in other movies, so I wanted to ask Ernie Albacher how you approach a Jon Stewart movie a little bit differently than maybe some of the other Lanterns. 
obviously you've got several different lanterns and many of which have been in other previous movies. How do you approach a John Stewart Green Lantern movie differently than you would approach maybe another lantern that would be Well, John's got his kind of unique upbringing. I mean, there's a lot of superheroes for some reason needing to be rich, right? <laughs> or very well connected. And he comes from the inner city and, and he had a military experience where he's got PTSD. And so I, I think that's, that's kind of very unique to where he comes out. I mean, even, even like Spider-Man, it's like, oh, he's a normal kid. But it's like a bully might beat me up is much different than I might die walking home in my neighborhood. You know, so John, John has some real problems that he's overcome. Then he becomes a hero. So all that life experience, I think, really, it's a crucible through which the man is, is formed. One of the more interesting additions to this story of a space adventure is Oliver Queen. So how does that work? Here's what Ernie had to say. Well, it's just, yeah, that, I think that was Jim Krieg's way of giving a nod that we're using Oliver Queen instead of someone else, instead of him going with Kilowog, right? Another thing that we didn't want to do was have one of the big three in this one because then Jon Stewart becomes a bit player in his own origin story, right? So having Oliver Queen does two things. John's kind of an intense character, and we have him with PTSD. He's not a laugh riot, right? So Jimmy Simpson playing, playing Green Arrow could be a little bit more of you know some some levity some some comic relief in that and he's the most unsuited person to take into space he has a bow and arrow right so sometimes sometimes writers do like to make themselves a challenge right so but mostly it is just a nod that because he was on hard traveling here so why not use him again though it's not the hard-traveling hero's story at all, because that's Hal Jordan. Next up was director Jeff Walmaster. Director always has such a great insight into movies like this, so I wanted to ask him about this particular version of Jon Stewart and this story that they were telling. Talk about your Jon Stewart a little bit. What did all this bring to the role that really helped bring it out for this film? It's interesting because he kind of has that attitude about him already, and I, I don't know if you guys have met him, but he has that kind of attitude of, like, positive, but he's not, like... right. I'm mean, the lucky. Exactly. He's just yeah. like, and you can you can read that even from the way he acted, but also like who he is. You know, it's a very magnetic of him, like kind of person he is. And you have that same thing I think with John Stewart on the screen. It's like, yeah, he's not like we, but you, but you still have a positive, really strong vibe from him. And I think that comes through on John Stewart. So Green Lantern, Beware My Power is definitely a John Stewart movie. So I wanted to ask the director about that and not being forced to use one of the big three in this movie as well. Speaking of not making this a Hal Jordan movie, mm -hmm. how refreshing and even exciting was it for you that you know, you're know you not having to put a Batman or a Superman or mm -hmm. something like into this movie mm -hmm. and making it a little bit more unique in that regard? Mm -hmm. uh, that was the most exciting part about it, was like being able to tell the story of something, someone that hadn't been really told about the history and giving him real weight. Batman's a good example of like, we know exactly what motivates him. We know exactly what has brought him to where he is and why he's there. No one's really done that with Green Lantern in the animated universe. They've done it in the comics, but 
they haven't done it in like an animated place, especially since Justice League. So we're like, this was a huge opportunity just to walk in and be able to do that. It was super exciting. We're like, oh my God, we give him real reasons to do what he does and why he does it. And it kind of, I told them, I was like, it kind of tied in to how he was in Justice League, you know, Bruce Timm's Justice League. We're like, that makes perfect sense. He was always serious, mm-hmm. always deadly serious. And we're like, now you know why. So it was really exciting and really fun to tell that why. Next up, it was the very funny Jimmy Simpson who plays Oliver Queen Green Arrow in this movie. So I had to ask him, you know, what's it like to actually be the comic relief in such a serious movie? We've heard all about how serious this film is. How is it to, to bring in a character like yours to actually add, add a little bit of levity to such a, a serious film? Personally, that's how I roll. So I think it's needed. I think it's kind of an essential element. Everything so heavy is real, but we also need some levity. And it's also a very human reaction when shit gets real tense to say a little sardonic thing and just crack people up a little bit and then we can kind of move on. Just break that tension. Yeah, you want the, the breaks. Because it's, I mean, the third act. Have you guys seen this movie? Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's pretty surprising stuff going on. Normally we see Oliver Queen paired up with Hal Jordan. This time in a movie with Jon Stewart. What was that like? Here's what Jimmy thought. Well, at first it's, it's alarm. I mean, it's not just a, a lesser lantern but it's the absence of my friend so first there's that to process and then once it's well the guardians gave him the ring he has the ring so it's legit and then it's it's wrapping your mind around replacing your friend but you have to so that's where that buddy pick kind of act comes in because i I need to show him the powers of the ring and the lantern and then we you know we forge a sweet little Mm -hmm. friendship Next up, it was the wonderful Jamie Gray Hater, of course, voices Hot Girl and Green Lantern. Beware, beware my power. First question was a great one from Megan from Beautiful Ballad when she asked, you know, hey, what's it like voicing a badass? It's an honor. Yeah. But when you realize it's a badass that's existed since 1941, it also becomes a bit daunting. <laughs> that's what was so un- yeah. amazing when I was doing research. I didn't realize that she'd been around that long. And to know that there's 80 years of history that you both have to honor while also putting your own take on it as an artist is... is can be a challenge so for me it was kind of about like trying to find that balance i always love to ask if there was a specific character that they loved working off of in movies like this so here's what jamie had to say for hers was there a specific character that you enjoyed working off of or having scenes with well what's remarkable is the fact that until today none of us have ever been in the same room together all four of us so you're doing your performances blind usually you don't have any of the other actors performances to go off of so you're on your own it can be challenging, but that's also what makes seeing the final product so much fun and so exciting is you're like, oh shit, that's hilarious because you get to see how you're working with other people and, and, and that it works. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you can all record separately and somehow create chemistry, you know, and that's a testament to our writers, to our editors, you know, it, and it makes it an adventure for us as well. So I had to flip the script a little bit. There's been so much talk about a Jon Stewart movie and it's about time. Hey, what about Hawk Girl? There's been a lot of talk of how it's about time we've gotten a Jon Stewart story, but I also kind of feel that way about Hawkgirl in a certain sense with the Thanagarian Wars and stuff like that. Is this a character you'd like to, to pick up and run with maybe in a, in a Hawkgirl movie or Hawkgirl and Hawkman movie at some point in the future? Absolutely. I think it would be extremely interesting to actually witness kind of her romantic side, to see the type of person that, that, that softens you. We all act different around the people we love, right? We have one exterior version of us, and then I want to see the version of her that's like Netflix and chill. 
You know, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, what does what she eat at home when she's on the couch? Does she got like popcorn or is she, you know, just sitting there shining her mace all the, you know, it's like, yeah. what is her, you think about like your character's at home life, right? Like, what are the normal, what's the normal shit she does? But I think you'd be amazed to take a character like her that's so one track, has a one track mind, is very warrior based and put her in a situation that, that warms her up a little bit. Next up was Brian Bloom, who plays Adam Strange. And you know anything about Hot Girl and Adam Strange. You know, there's a little bit of an interesting relationship there. As a matter of fact, right before Jamie left, she made a joke about how Hot Girl wanted to basically kill Adam Strange the second she met him. So when Brian sat down, oh, I had to run with that. Well, she just said that when you guys first met on screen that she wanted to uh, kill you immediately. So uh, what was that relationship like between the two? Oh, right. So these are the characters. Hopefully Jamie wasn't saying that she wanted no, to kill she, me. She didn't it was Hawk Girl wants to kill yeah, Adam Strange. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe um, yeah, yeah. We'll see how it goes. We actually go back and have, we did... Um, Call of Duty game together where we played the, the two leads. Um, so we, we have a history together. I'm not afraid of Jamie. <laughs> I actually am a little bit. But yeah, they meet, they're on opposite sides of the war. And uh, there's, they don't trust each other. But Adam Strange knows something that Hawkgirl doesn't know. And then unfortunately, there's something that they both don't know. And in many ways, this story is about certain people benefiting from instability and war rather than working toward peace for the greater good. And then in the third act, this story, without giving anything away, is about what happens when somebody wants to use war to achieve the peace. And it's dealing with a lot of themes that aren't necessarily super heavy, but there are things that we in some cases they are, but there are things we can all that resonate with all of us. In the context of this movie, and actually if you know the history of Adam Strange a little bit too, I had to ask Brian, does he think that Adam considers himself a hero? He had a very interesting answer. Would you say that at this stage, does, does Adam Strange consider himself a hero? He definitely doesn't consider himself a hero, and I think... What's interesting about that is when he finally does in this story find the will to make, to trade off something on a mortal and terminal level for the greater good, he's doing something heroic, but not because he's expected to. In fact, again, careful with spoilers, he is doing it. It's a surprise to everybody, the thing that he does uh, for the greater good. When I say the other heroes, I guess I really mean because they all have super-like powers, and although in the canon, as you were meant sort of implying before, Strange does, I would say in this story, his real superpower is his mind. He's a scientist, and he, what he knows uh, about science, what he knows about the conflict, what he knows about uh, the universe, what he knows about the Zeta beams, what he knows about how they can be used. And I think that's very grounding too. He's using his knowledge and his heart in this story more than something. Uh, he's using things that we all at this table have. That's kind of cool. Finally, a good way to end it with the man himself, Aldous Hodge, who plays John Stewart, the Green Lantern in this movie. And yeah, what does the ring represent? 
For him, for John, here's what he had to say. So the ring represents his uh, new path and potential in faith. The ring chooses him before he chooses it. In, his, in this story, he has to go through figuring out whether or not he wants to accept his new destiny and whether he wants to really step up to his own new potential, right? So I love the fact that he goes through that because he's already a superhero before he puts on the ring. The ring chose him because he's a hero, and we get to the place of this man going through a journey of discovering himself and figuring out what's most important about who he is to the world and who he is to himself. So the ring represents evolution and change and uh, necessary evolution and change. Tomorrow from the beat, got to ask the last question. It was a good one because Aldous's parents are both Marines and John Stewart, a Marine as well. So did that kind of help him, you know, inform him for the role a little bit? It, it informed my pride <laughs> for sure because I was like, I get to represent. You know, I was born on a military base, but absolutely because I get to see him from the perspective of being a human being and a person as opposed to a serviceman, right? People go into service because of who they are as people and what they value and what they, you know. The idea of a serviceman sometimes we feel like is you have to be this kind of archetype to be a, you know. They're human beings, people with real hope, drive, desires, darkness, deepness, and you get to, to pull from a human aspect of figuring out and building who he is, what his personality is, as opposed to a caricature of that. And uh, my experience with my parents, of course, definitely informed and sort of helped me shape who I see Jon Stewart as. And what you'll see is a lot of deep storytelling, some twists, and a lot of characters that are getting a spotlight that don't normally get the spotlight. Top of that list is Jon Stewart. It was just such a refreshing change to see this movie and get to see Jon Stewart at the front of that and, and just good, again good storytelling from top to bottom in this thing it just felt like a top-notch green lantern movie if you haven't seen it yet green lantern beware my power is available on blu-ray on 4k dvd on digital hd as well from warner brothers home entertainment which provided me with a free copy of this movie for review by the way all opinions are my own but that just thank you so much for the, allowing them for them allowing me to come into the press room and to talk to the wonderful cast and creative team behind Green Lantern for wearing my power. And thanks to all the amazing journalists that joined me as well who asked some incredible questions. Just And I'll be posting fuller versions of these interviews, by the way, on our YouTube channel and some clips on social media as well if you want to check out for those. Maybe you get some stuff that you didn't hear just now. That's going to do it for my interviews with the cast and creative team behind Green Lantern. Beware my power. Up next, the interviews are far from done here on our Comic-Con recap show. But we're going to take a break from Comic-Con for a second to talk about the new Apple TV Plus series, Surface. The cast and creative team from that show also joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know something's going to be pretty special to not be from Comic-Con and still make it into our Comic-Con recap show. And yes, Surface on Apple TV Plus is just that it is actually premiered now so you can start watching it and find out how memory can become mystery and i got to talk to the creator of the series and also the stars as well as a matter of fact i want to start by talking to the stars 
of the show. That's Gugu Mbath-Raw and Oliver Jackson-Cohen about their roles and their very, very interesting roles at that in the series. Hear what they had to say. Hey, James. Gugu, Oliver, how you doing? Hi, good, thanks. How are you? Doing very, very well. I love the show. There's so many interesting aspects of this story. What was it that drew you both to this project? Well, I'd worked with Hello Sunshine before, obviously, uh, Reese Witherspoon's company on the morning show. So when I got this script and I knew that they were making it, I was really excited because I had such a, a great experience on that and they do such interesting work for women. And then I read Veronica West's script and it was such a page turner. <laughs> I was really drawn into the mystery and to who is Sophie that fundamental question of who is she you know at at the end of of the first episode I thought it was really intriguing I loved the sort of noir element I felt like there was a real scope to to it potentially visually yeah I was I was hooked right away but I feel like Gugu's pretty much said I'd never read scripts that were that compelling I mean, it was honestly, I mean, I, hopefully you get it watching the show. It is, yeah, and then you can't, and I knew what happened because I was sort of sent a, you know, story like a Bible for the show. But then actually reading these scripts, they are, I don't know how Veronica's done it. They are, they are so compelling and so, uh, I, 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 yeah, I just really couldn't put it down. And so I think there's something, just the kind of the premise of the show and what do you do if you don't recognize anything in your life and you're constantly being told something but then you realize that actually that reality in itself is distorted i just think it's such an interesting premise and it creates it makes for sort of you know incredibly tense psychological thriller tense is a very good word because that leads me to my next question because not only do you guys have to play the chemistry of having that loving relationship you have to play those tension moments as well what was that like as you guys were preparing to work together to kind of balance those two different things because it's 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 a great balance that you guys have oh thank you i mean for me you know i think again in in the construct of the show the idea of these secrets you know and certainly for for james james's character you know he's holding a lot of secrets sophie is trying to get to the bottom of the truth. And I think that that inherently creates this sort of pressure cooker of the marriage, the house, this beautifully perfect house that they live in. But, you know, it's it's really all is not as it seems. So so for me, that was, that was great because I think there were always two things at play in every scene that we had together. You know, uh, Sophie trying to sort of reassess James, him maybe defending or, or trying to keep everything normal or protect her. And so so that's that's the juicy stuff as an actor I think where you get those dynamic scenes you know and there is love there there's there's clearly you know deep love there and as we get into the show we get to see you know I don't want to give too much away but we get to understand the origin of the relationship and you know to know that that's very relatable you know every marriage in and every uh, relationship you know people are constantly treading a tightrope of of how much to reveal to each other absolutely and you'll find out more on July the 29th that's when the first three episodes of surface drops on apple tv plus gugu oliver thank you so much for your time today i appreciate it thank you you heard them give all that praise to veronica West's script so i think now's a good time to actually ask veronica west about this amazing show that she created so let's go right to the source hi nice to meet you hi veronica how you doing i'm doing well this world could give you anxiety Really, really quick. It gives me actually. anxiety all the time. <laughs> well, I, I, I can understand it because you were in it from the beginning. Actually, one of the things that first caught my attention, Veronica, about the show was the lost memories aspect 
connected to the trauma. I thought that that was a really, really neat concept. But how did you come up with the overall concept for the story? Oh, I'm so glad you noticed that in the psychogenic in episode four, when they're talking about, you know, what could cause this kind of memory loss. It could be physical trauma, but it also could be this emotional thing. And that was, you know, the idea of memory loss in some ways is a trope, but in this show, I feel like we've utilized it to show a totally different side of these themes of destiny and second chances. You know, Sophie wakes up and her brain has essentially been rebooted. She's lost everything, which means she's also kind of erased the mistakes that she's made in the past. She has a chance to be a different person, maybe a better person, maybe to evolve. And as we see her struggle with learning who she really was before and asking the question, will I become that person again? We get to explore these bigger themes of basically destiny. You know, are we all destined? destined to repeat the same patterns that we did before. And that's a theme that comes up in the show in lots of different visual ways, the repeating of patterns. I think it's interesting too, because you're, I, I almost feel like you've got two different versions of Sophie that you're dealing with in this story because of the memory loss and everything like that. Did it kind of feel that way to you as you were going through it? I, I actually thought you guys weaved that very, very well in this show. Oh, thank you for saying that. It's absolutely, there's at least two sides of Sophie, if not more, as we'll come to uncover. What I love about the pilot is that we really have a visual way to represent that when Sophie is trying to be who she thinks she's supposed to be. She's supposed to be this kind of demure, perfect wife. And she picks this flowered dress that her husband says looks great on her and wears it to this party thinking, this is who people want me to be. So that's who I'm going to try to be. But then later in the pilot, in the back of the closet, she finds this very sexy black dress, which is the dress on the poster. It's the Sophie dress Mm -hmm. now, you know? And she puts that on and Gugu's performance is so magnetic in that moment. You can see her face change. She actually echoes some of the same expressions that she makes later on when we might see past Sophie in that dress. And you start to wonder, you know, are there other sides to herself? And you get that taste from the very beginning. That dress does become very, very important when you're watching the show. Once you stop watching, you're like, oh, that's what she was talking about. So (laughs) I feel like Veronica, the concept is the hook. I get that. But when you actually start watching the series, to me anyway, it felt very character driven too. So what was it like putting the cast together and finding just the right fit for each role? It was a challenge, you know, but I think we ended up with the absolute best people that we possibly could have. Like Ollie is so funny in real life. He's such a goofball and such a relaxed person. And then on screen, he has this intensity and this danger to him that can be very charismatic or also very scary. So we're really lucky to have him and Stefan, Ari, everybody in the cast did a fantastic job. I'm so glad you said that about Oliver too, because I feel like I'm trying to decide, especially in the early going, like, is this guy dangerous? Is he reckless? What is it about this guy? So tell, talk about James's character a little bit and, and kind of the, the edge that he's on as well. Well, without giving too much away, it's hard to talk about the plot of this show without any spoilers. Oh, believe me, I had a hard time <laughs> trying to figure out what to ask You're you doing guys. great. <laughs> Kudos. <laughs> but James's motivations are much more complicated than you might think at first, right? So we as writers have the challenge that once we do understand where people were really coming from way later in the season, we have to go back and make sure everything they say, everything 
everything they did, it still tracks with those motivations. You know, it's one thing to make the audience think something, but you can't betray them and then say, oh, we were just doing that to scare you or to make mm -hmm. you think that this person was a good guy or this person was a bad guy. It all has to make sense with where their character was truly coming from. And I think that's something we really pulled off this season and something I'm really excited for people to see. So there's no secret, Veronica, there's a love tri triangle going on here. We see that in the trailer. So fans always choose sides in these types hmm. of situations. We know that. Is it going to be, do you feel like an obvious choice where fans are going to go here? Do you expect maybe a little bit of push and pull surprisingly? I don't think it's obvious at all. In the writer's room, we had fights, hashtag team James, Ooh. hashtag team Baden. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think the the mark of a good love triangle is that you're split down the middle in terms of the writers, in terms of the fans. And I think people are going to have a hard time choosing between which one of these guys brings out the real Sophie. Very, very true. Now, right away, though, I was taken in by that relationship between Sophie and James. I mean, whether you pick them or not, that that is a very interesting relationship. There's a lot to unpack there. Would you say that theirs is a bit of a perception versus reality story in a kind of way? I think Sophie and James had a curated image that potentially they were both in on from the beginning. And as we uncover the truth behind their relationship, those motivations start to become really clear. We're lucky to be able to have done a flashback episode from James's point of view much later in the season that really unpacks how they got to the place that's so fraught and complicated where we meet them in the pilot. Anytime you're dealing with a mystery, there's tension. There's also waiting for those big reveals as a fan though. So how do you manage the pace of what you reveal and when you reveal it? That's a really interesting question. People keep bringing that up and I feel like the story just had to be told. You know, we knew who these people were and what the real dynamic was. And I almost felt like we had too many twists and turns and too many reveals and we <laughs> needed to slow it down. But we always wanted to come at those things sort of from a left turn, you know, and not have Sophie like just always discover something, but sometimes people come to her and tell her the truth or confess, you know, because we realized they couldn't live with the lies anymore. That's something that happens with one of the characters without any spoilers, but yeah. I know what character she's talking about. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I also wanted to, I was thinking as I'm watching the show, I'm still, uh, the web of lies thing kept coming up before I let you go. And one of the, you could use that as the story progressive, but on the flip side, do you feel like there's also a web of truths as well? There's definitely a web of truths. And that is what Sophie has to get to the center of. <laughs> she is climbing that web throughout the season. And I promise by the end of uh, episode eight, she basically unpacks the, the center of that. And we'll untangle it all on July the 29th. That's when the first three episodes of Surface hits Apple TV Plus and creator Veronica West. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now it's time to complete the last segment of our love triangle that is surface with Stefan James, who plays Thomas and a very interesting character at that. Listen to him talk about that. Stefan, what's up, man? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. So when we first meet Thomas in the show, he's a bit of a mystery. So how would you describe him? Yeah, I would describe him as being a little dark, a little aloof. He's reclusive. He's, he's hard to put a finger on. I'd like to think that I'm I'm kind of that way in my real life. And so it was a great feeling for me to, to be able to embody that 10X now uh, in this in this character. It just made it easy for you. It's a nice transition. Like, ah, yeah, that way totally. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> now, obviously, Sophie doesn't have a memory of who she is. So she's getting bits and pieces from all over the place. Who would you say 
is the Sophie that Thomas knows. Of course, without spoiling anything. I would say that Thomas always knew that there was something in Sophie's life that wasn't quite right. You know, she was troubled. Maybe she wasn't completely happy. There was something going on there. And I think that, you know, in a weird way, Baden's trying to, uh, you know, get to the bottom of it while managing his own feelings um, in the moment as well. Now, we know by the trailer that there's a love triangle going on here, Stefan. Do, do you feel mm -hmm. like there's a bit more tension here and even higher stakes than your typical love triangle, triangle that you see on TV? Because I certainly think there is. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. It was fun, man. What can I say? It was very, very fun outside of just Google and Oliver being exceptional at their craft. You know, it was fun to kind of be the guy in the middle at some some points in time. I mean, I think that the audience will enjoy sort of this back and forth and knowing like, you know, who they're going to root for. Because in one episode, it may, you know, totally be Thomas. But in another episode, you know, they're going to be rooting for James. And so I think me and Oliver will just keep tally on uh, what, what Twitter's saying. Man, I can tell you right now because I, I was solidly in one camp and then I started drifting and then I'm like, well, wait a second. Yeah. No, why am I drifting? And then that, <laughs> so you got me, man. That's certainly yeah. worked on me so far. Well, good, 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 good. Mission accomplished. Well, now we know that Baden's trying to help Sophie, though. We find that out throughout the show. And but how much of that could we see affect his own life as well? Because he's also has, you know, his own life, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that typical sort of trope, right, where, you know, sometimes personal gets in the way of, of business. And, and so when you're a guy like Baden, who, you know, is an undercover narcotics officer, he definitely has to be very tactful in the way he moves and the things he does, the people who he chooses to engage in. And so that creates a constant, I think, conflict for him throughout the series. No doubt. Do you think that that, per that profession also kind of allows him to see people for who they really are? Or is it almost a little bit of the opposite because you have to be somebody else almost all the time when you're undercover like that? Does that kind of make it a little bit more difficult for him, you think? Yeah, no, I definitely think that he's a, quite a cerebral individual and sort of wants to understand the real Sophie. And he wants to get down to the bottom of, you know, what, what it is that's taking place. And so, yeah, I definitely do think that there's a human aspect that Baden offers the, the show where he, you know, he takes it into... I guess, sort of the psychology, um, you know, he's he's sort of that lever, if you will, that helps, you know, initiate sort of a lot of Sophie's thoughts and feelings and questions. Very, very pivotal to the storyline, for sure. Now, if he's willing to devote this much time to keeping her safe, there has to be a reason for that. So could James really be that dangerous or is it merely the perception that he's dangerous, you think? I don't know. I think that's up to the audience to decide. I mean, I think... Baden doesn't trust anyone, you know? Well, then, a, yeah, that's one way to approach it, sure. As a, as, a, as a cop, you know, I think he's almost been conditioned that way. A lot of the things he, he does to get to the bottom of this, it's irregardless of, you know, whatever he may feel about James as a husband, uh, what James does for a living. He doesn't really care. You know, he's just trying to get to the bottom of it all. And I think it makes it a very, it raises the stakes for sure. Oh, it certainly does. The chemistry between you and Gugu, I thought, in the series really comes across, especially in the early going, too. So what was it like working with her and the different aspects of her character? You talk about aspects, right? I, I feel like I was constantly marveling at, at Gugu and her performance because she's playing two characters at once. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, just watching her measure her performance in terms of what she knows or doesn't know at a certain point in time, 
what she wants to give or hold back at a certain point in time was very, very impressive. And then, you know, obviously her being an executive producer on the show as well as another another hat. And so just grateful for how collaborative she was and the whole cast was, how inclusive they were. She really made it a, a, a joy for me to be a part of it. Stefan, before I let you go, there's a lot of secrets on this show. Most of them centered around Sophie and James. But could you say that maybe uh, is Thomas have a few secrets of his own we might find out about? little tease for us there there is a there's a little bit of an easter egg kinder surprise there that i can't wait for the audience to see so i'm definitely looking forward to it and that's the answer we were looking for because keep your eyes open on what this guy's got going on especially on july the 29th that's when surface premieres its first three episodes on apple tv plus stefan great to see you man thanks for the time thank you so much man take care there are really so many moving parts to this show, and it makes you want to pay attention to every little thing that's going on and wonder if certain details are going to be important later or if they're not or if there's misdirection there. That is what makes this such a compelling thriller, but there's also a lot of drama here as well and some great acting performances. Just a couple of the reasons you're going to love Surface, which is now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. This is going to be appointment viewing. I have a feeling for that right now. Again, thanks to the wonderful cast and creator of Surface for joining me this week to talk about the new Apple TV Plus series. Up next, we will get back to our Comic-Con coverage, and I'll share my review of the new Prime Video series, Paper Girls, and my experience at the premiere at Comic-Con. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Chad Michael Collins from Nerdy Sniper Franchise. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I had a lot of great experiences at Comic-Con this year, but one of my favorite things that I did was I got a chance to attend the Paper Girls premiere that happened in San Diego during Comic-Con with the cast. It was actually on the rooftop of a hotel. They had a movie theater screen set up outside. There was Adirondack chairs, popcorn, soda, all kinds of great stuff. It was a, it was a really good time. It was really comfortable. It was just really nice watching the movie and you know under the stars like that. I see the movie. It's a series, but it almost feels like just... One long movie, of course, this based on the graphic novel and comic book series from Brian K. Vaughn and Clifford Chang. And I, I got to say, I want to give my quick review of the series now that it's streaming on Prime Video. And not only is this a good, faithful adaptation of the comic, I also feel like this series doesn't do the 80s in a stereotypical way. It very much kind of positions itself in the 80s, at least in the beginning anyway, but not in a way that just shoves nostalgia down your throat. It takes place during that time period, and it shines a light on that. And then when, I, I don't know if I should say this or not because it's a, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but when, okay, a little bit of a spoiler here so I can go ahead and go forward with this review. When the timeline changes, and when they go further ahead in time, and you've got the whole, well, they don't recognize this level of technology thing, Again, that's not something that's forced down your throat. And I think that that's really, really neat. But one of the things that really makes this show special is the heart of it. Not just the relationship between the girls themselves, because they're just kind of thrown together in the beginning of this series and are almost forced to become, I don't necessarily if I would say friends right away, but certainly allies right away, if nothing else. But then you see how each of their lives and how everything that's happening in this show is affecting each of their lives and where each of their lives were, at least the perception of where they were, when things started and as things are going now. And you almost forget that these are young girls. We're talking about 12-year-old girls here in this story. 
and you know they're being transported into the future and then and then there's the, a past element to this as well and there's really so much and not to mention this kind of battle this war that they're kind of thrown into that they are really you know not a part of but kind of back their way into there's a lot going on here and then of course you know you meet your future self and that's not a spoiler because you know that's in the trailer and i've got to say that riley linellet who plays aaron and ali wong who plays grown-up aaron their interactions together in the early episodes of the series are really really incredible but i have to say that Sophia Rosinski is Mac. She is off the charts good in this show. I mean, they're all good. Cameron Jones does a great job as Tiff. We also have Fina Straza as KJ. All the girls are wonderful, but there's something a little bit extra. I feel like Sophia Rosinski brings to the role of Mac, and her story is is one of the more compelling ones, I think, of this series in the early going. Anyway, and something that you find out about her I believe in either in the second or third episode that really changes things. And you see her sort her character sort of evolve throughout the first season. She never really loses who she is, but the way she evolves is interesting. And I just like the group dynamic itself too. I think it's really, really strong between these girls and, and the confidence that Cameron Jones brings to the character of Tiff is really great and this this casting you really nailed it with the casting of this series and just the the sneaky heartfelt moments that happen in the show you almost don't see it coming and then you don't realize it until you're in the middle of it that you know it's it's tugging at your heartstrings quite a bit and you find yourself rooting for these girls in such a strong way but also and when they're not getting along it, it you know, it, it bothers me. It bothered me when they weren't getting along. Because you also understand the circumstances, but I love these characters so much right away that, that it really got to me when they weren't getting along. And I'm not going to give you any teasers for further along in the season, although I do love that they released all eight episodes of this thing today instead of making us wait weekly because I feel like this is such a bingeable show. Not that others aren't, but this is such a bingeable show. This is one that you're definitely going to want to watch right away and they screen the first three episodes at the premiere at comic-con and episode three is all is really one of those hook you moments at the end of episode three actually all of episode three if i'm being honest and that's when the show really really starts to get going but it had such a strong first episode in introducing it to the girls and giving us giving us a sense of their personalities and having more than one wow moment in its first episode that it's hard not to get hooked on this series. So I almost want to warn you that once you start this, you're probably going to want to finish it. I love that they're half-hour episodes too, by the way. I, I know that doesn't give us as much in this first season as it, as it would if they were hour-long episodes, but it makes the show so bingeable as well, and there are no wasted moments in this first season, and there's something to be said for that in this streaming world, especially when you're releasing things all at once and I just had such a great time and you could just tell the joy in everybody's eyes and their faces and the way they were talking about this show before the premiere at Comic-Con and just watching the cast be able to watch this with their families in person was just such a great experience for me too because you could see the joy in certain scenes 
that happen. You get to see the joy on their faces or the reactions that they have seeing it for the first time in front of them on screen. Even though you're in it, you know, once you see it for the first time, it's completely different ball game too. So just a great experience. And I want to thank the folks at Prime Video and everybody for allowing me to be a part of the Paper Girls premiere at Comic-Con. Watch this show and then watch it again because this is one that really has, I think, a lot of longevity. And I love that they give a spotlight to this comic book series. And I love that they did such a great job in casting these roles. I think Paper Girls has the potential to be on the air for a long, long time. I really hope that it gets that chance. That's going to do it for my review of Paper Girls and my experience at the premiere at Comic-Con this year as well. Up next, I'll talk about another experience I had at Comic-Con. This time it was a little bit of a breakfast and got to talk about a show I never thought I'd be able to talk about on this podcast, Third Rock from the Sun, my interview with French Stewart and talking a little bit about Cozy TV. That's next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Blue Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sometimes you just need a little bit of nostalgia in your life, and that means finding a network like Cozy TV with so many TV classics that you can watch. I mean, everything from, like, The Munsters to Frasier, and now Third Rock from the Sun, maybe the best nerdy sitcom of all time. And one of the things that I got to do at San Diego Comic-Con this year was the folks at Cozy invited me to a nice breakfast event. And who was there but French Stewart. Harry Solomon himself from Third Rock from the Sun. I actually got a few minutes to chat with him about the show while I was at Comic-Con, and I was so excited. So here it is, my conversation with Third Rock from the Sun star, French Stewart. Cozy TV is the place to be. You know why? Because you can watch all your favorite shows there. One of mine, for sure, has always been Third Rock from the Sun. Just so grateful for a chance to talk to this guy. Harry Solomon himself. It's French Stewart. French, how are you doing at Comic-Con? I'm well. I'm well, James. How are you? Doing very, very well. I... This show, to me anyway, just stands the test of time so, so much. Why do you feel like this show is still just so relevant today? Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like it, it sort of just has the makings of your classic sitcom. It's, it's stupid, but it's smart stupid, and it's got heart, and I, I just, I'm really proud of it. We had a great time making it, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled that people still respond to it. What was your favorite thing about Harry over the years playing this character? Because, I mean, if there's a unique character you're going to remember from the show, I actually think it's Harry. So what was your favorite thing about him? I think just that he was unabashedly stupid. Like, he's just the stupidest man in any world. And he could go to any planet and he'd still be the dumbest one. And I, I just, but, but also sort of lovely and oddly sexy. I don't know. It was just sort of a, a perverted Urkel. It was, the, it was the dancing. I'm just. I'm sorry, that was <laughs> yeah, the mesmerizing the thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that, that's, where, that's where the sex appeal came from. <laughs> that's where it came from, yeah. But I, the thing I say about this show is you, see, you hear the term laugh out loud moments so much. Right. And, you know, you get the fake LOLs and texts and stuff like that. You're not really... This show legitimately has so many great laugh out loud moments. For me, one of them was when Harry was trying to explain to Dick what manly was with scratching oh, and that that yeah. that was right up there manly, so not manly. can can you yeah. think of any off the top of your head that were just really great for you you actually had a hard time getting through these scenes because they were so funny yeah i i uh, there was one with jan hooks who played uh, vicky dupchek my girlfriend and she had decided to uh, cut me off from from sex and so, i remember that episode yeah. yep and so but she i was cooking and she she asked me would you please pull my pants down 
and I was just she was just asking me to get <laughs> I'm her sorry, pants. I can't, but I can't, she just I can't keep a straight face. But every time she said it, I I I blew I blew ten takes just you know because she's so funny anyway. But she'd just say, Harry, would you would you pull my pants down? And I just I, it was so dumb that I, I couldn't get past it. No. <laughs> It was such an amazing cast yeah. that you all put together. What was it like working with everyone over all those years and just the chemistry that was just off the page for you guys? It was great. I mean, everybody had really come from the theater and so they all really liked to rehearse and have a good time during the course of the week. And you know, usually there's one person who's gonna be a jerk, but we just didn't have that. And so everybody just had a good time and we're enjoying each other's company and we were uh, lucky to have the writers we had. It was just a great time. Absolutely, and your new home for Throw Rock from the Sun is Cozy TV. Cozy you can TV. see a lot of this guy, French Stewart. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes today. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Put on your jammies and watch some Cozy TV. It's all there. You could watch some Columbo. It doesn't have to be us. You know? Watch everything is what he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can see George Jefferson, the all-time favorite for me. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, that was actually outside of the convention center. I mean, beautiful weather. You had the Rambler there from the show, which they were giving away by the way, and it was just so amazing to be able to go back and think about Third Rock from the Sun. This is a show that I certainly watch on occasion, especially when I need a good laugh, but to know that it's going to be on Cozy TV now is just incredible. So, I mean, it's one of those networks for me. It's a comfort network. I could watch these shows on any number of streaming services, and I find myself watching them on Cozy TV because it has that nostalgic feel for me, and it's you can find it over the air, in a lot of in a lot of markets, but you can also find it on some of your cable TV networks as well. You might actually have it on your package, and you don't even know about it. But I mean, Cozy TV is just such a wonderful place. It's a feel-good network for me, and I just find myself drifting to it so so much. So make sure you're watching Cozy TV, especially Third Rock from the Sun, because that is a show that if you've never watched it, it's one of those shows I always tell people to go back and watch if they never saw it, because it is six seasons of just brilliant, brilliant laughs with a great cast and so many great guest stars as well. Again, thanks to French Stewart and the folks at Cozy TV for just being great hosts and giving me a few minutes to talk to French Stewart. I really, really appreciate it. Up next, speaking of chats, let's talk about Funko with Head of Communications Jessica P. Hagrafstein. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Stephanie Phillips, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the big winners of Comic-Con this year has to be Funko because I will say, hands down, they had the most recognizable and biggest presence on the show floor at Comic-Con this year. That booth, Funkoville, was epic times 10. Let me tell you, with Mondo there and Loungefly and, of course, the Funko brand that you know and love. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about Funko a little more. So I got to talk to head of communications, Jessica Piha Grafstein about all things Funko and bringing Mondo into the fold and the fact that they took over Hall H this year. Really fun conversation. So let's hear that right now. Love being at San Diego Comic-Con always, but especially now since it's been a few years since we've been here and you want to talk about a staple on the show floor of Comic-Con. I can't think of a bigger one than Funko, and I just happen to have the communications goddess, if you will, of the Funko brand. It's Jessica Pihagrafstein. Jessica, how are you today? Oh, thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be back at Comic-Con. I have missed it. What is it like when you work at Funko, you come to a place like this, and you see the sea of humanity 
in front of you just waiting for just even a glimpse of these exclusives that you bring to a show like this? You know, I, I have to say it's a feeling and seeing all of our fans together in one place, being able to offer them some really unique collectibles for their collection and being able to offer them the opportunity to see our other brands, Loungefly and Mondo here as well with us under one whole umbrella called Funkoville. It's a dream come true. What has it been like expanding that brand too? Because I mean, obviously the Funko Pops are always gonna be your baby. But then you bring somebody like Mondo and you bring the lounge fly, fly in because in those amazing bags that they have. What has that been like for you all expanding that brand and, and growing this now general Funko brand in general? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really, really big initiative and growth initiative for the company is making sure that we're maximizing the opportunities by offering all different types of consumer merchandise across apparel, accessories, posters, vinyl records. And now we have two brands that not only do it good, they do it great. So it's really about elevating those brands, giving them the bigger platform and showing our fans of the Funko Pop brand that, hey guys, have you checked out Mondo? Have you checked out Loungefly? So it's really a great compliment to our business. But I do have to say the people that run those teams, they do excellent work. They're creative, they're detail oriented, and it's a real compliment. And we're just excited to have them with us. I remember when you guys first started and the Funko Pop seemed like such a simple concept and such a unique thing that you guys could bring, but you've really evolved that in such a way that I, I couldn't possibly imagine. I want to talk about one in, in one in particular. Yeah. The the new line that you all have with your you've got a character figure and then the comic backsplash. Yep. There's you've got a Spider-Man, you've got a few others as well. What goes into creating a concept like that? And is that something that's kind of been in the works for a while? Or is that something that, that was just kind of new that you guys thought, yeah, let's try this? Yeah, you know, I think that expanding in the pop category has been a big initiative. We know people love to collect Fungo Pop characters, but if we can do pop albums, pop mini mo movie moments and mini moments, and if we can do pop comics, we're giving people another way to express their fandom. And they can not only just put it on, you know, their desk, but they can actually hang it on their wall. So you'll see a lot of people will collect the pop albums or the comic covers and just hang them on their wall. So it's a really great way to express your fandom that goes a little bit beyond the standard three-inch pop. Talk about your fans for a second, too, because there's a lot of creativity in the Funko fandom. I mean, I've seen stop-motion movies, all kinds of things. What is it like for you all to see that creativity brought out from your fans? And do you ever get kind of surprised at stuff that you see on social media or on YouTube, you're like, wow, I can't believe somebody thought of that idea. Yeah, you know, we have some really passionate fans and some of the things that they do are just unbelievable. And we definitely drive our creativity through the lens of them. I mean, they're the ones who are continuously challenging us to do better, to do different, and we're always innovating. So, I, you know, we, we put this on for the fans. We are here because of the fans. Every single one of us who works at Funko would not be here if it wasn't for the fans. So we serve them and we continue to try to meet their expectations when it comes to developing cool products. I want to talk about that for a second because inevitably, Jessica, no matter how many pops you guys put out from how many brands, you've always got a certain fan that goes, hey, where's my pop? of this person from this show, like Lucifer fans, for example, I, the ones that pop to yes, mind where you go, yes. okay, well, where's my Funko for the, how, how much do you all take stuff like that into consideration and what's that process like for deciding, okay, said property, we're gonna do one, two, three pops for this brand. How much does that factor in the fan feedback that you will get to deciding, okay, 
we're going to do a pop for this. Oh, it, I mean, it totally comes into we 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 listen to what our fans tell us and what they want. Now, when it comes to the licensing side, obviously yeah, we don't own that. <laughs> that IP. So we task our licensing team and their phenomenal, talented team to go out and get us licenses that are really going to help us maximize that content through the pop form factor. So, I mean, yes, we listen to our fans. We want to deliver for them. And if we hear things enough, it definitely goes all the way up to our chief creative officer, Brian Mariotti, who is our former CEO. And Brian makes sure that the licensing team has the tools that are necessary to help us grab those licenses. Talk about your exclusives that you have here this year for a second, because you've got some, once again, no surprise, some incredible ones. Yeah. Pick out a couple of your favorites that you'd like to talk about. I, I know these are your babies, but I'm going to make you pick like two uh, okay. of your favorites you want to talk okay, about. Okay, so I love the Ted Lasso because I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. I also like the Charmander from Pokemon. It's a really, really cool one. And then, of course, I have to say Loungefly has their American Tale Fievel bag. Yes. And I have to tell you, that's like my, my era. Like, I grew up with that. So I'm really excited to buy that one. So... As, as someone who's a few kids at home, yep. you know, obviously the, the, cute factor, the cute factor of the Funko Pops does not go unnoticed by my kids. Have you heard from maybe other parents like, look, Funko's been my gateway to get my kids into something that I loved when I was younger. Have you kind of found that you've, you've gotten some of that feedback as well? Yeah, you know, I think families are coming to Funko because there's something for everyone and there's a lot to offer. And I think it is definitely a a community building type atmosphere. So whether our families come to visit our Funko Hollywood store, our Funko Everett store, or walk into a Walmart or Target and see a big Funko section, they're gonna see that it's it's for their kids, it's for them, and it's a way to bond really with the content and also the IP that obviously our licensing partners take such great credit to, to creating. I want to talk about your booth for a second because it's incredible. Of course, we will be posting po pictures on our social media here soon. But some brands decided, let's scale back at Comic-Con this year. And you guys not only didn't do that, you doubled down and made it even bigger. So talk about the decision of why you all decided you wanted to do that, other than the fact that you've got a couple of great brands to showcase here, other than just the Funko brand itself. Yeah, you know, we wanted to come back in a big way. And what better way than doing it with Funkoville and creating an actual town for Funko fans. That's exactly and so, what it looks like, like too. That's what it is. So, you know, we were gonna say, you know, no expense, we're gonna go all the way to make this experience something so memorable for the people who have been missing out on coming to the conventions the past few years. We wanted to be safe, obviously, keep people healthy, but at the end of the day, we wanted to create something so memorable that people are gonna say, but did you stop by Funkoville? Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I really have to credit our team. They're just so talented, and they really took it next level. Really quickly, Jessica, before I let you go, let's talk about the future for a second. Is yeah. there anything that you can tell us about that you're super excited about that's going to be coming up here soon? You know, you'll just have to wait and see, but I would say Hall H, there may be some announcements happening, so definitely keep your, your, your ear to the ground for that, and if you can join us at Hall H, we welcome you. And make sure you follow them on social media, and also support your local pop retailers as well. There's a ton of them. Make sure you support them as well. Yep, I love shopping at my local comic book store. I take my kids there all the time. I've got friends that do it too, so it's, it's really amazing. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. And one of those announcements that was made during Hall H was that Funko is going to have a AAA platform game that's going to be coming out in 2023, an action platformer game. And Funko getting into video games just seems like a natural thing 
at this point, doesn't it? And the way that this brand has grown from the beginning to what it is now, and Mondo and Loungefly are both legit brands. If you're not familiar with them yet, get familiar really quick, or your kid's going to make you familiar really quick as well. But, you know, walking by the Funko booth all these years and finally getting a chance to talk about Funko on the show, it just felt like a right time to do that. So thanks so much to Jessica Piha, Grafstein, and so many people from Funko for giving me the opportunity to do just that. Our Comic-Con talk continues right now. Up next, going to have to sift through all of this amazing nerd news from Marvel Studios, AMC, all the trailers and more. We'll get to that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Christine Adams from Black Lightning, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looking at the biggest news from the biggest event of the year. It's time for nerd news, and I got to say, there's no bigger winner from Comic-Con this year than Marvel. Seriously. I mean, it's not even close as far as Hall H panels go. There was some big news, but you know, I don't want to bore you with the whole, you know, winners and losers thing because the, there's no contest with who the biggest winner is. So let's talk about the Marvel news, shall we? First, let's talk about phase five and phase six teases that were given. Marvel gave us way more than I expected with D D23 coming up. So we know that Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to end Phase 4. And I'll get to that trailer here in just a second. We now know that Ant-Man Quantumania is going to start Phase 5. Now, we know some of the stuff that was coming up in Phase 5 already, like Secret Invasion and Echo and New Guardians movie and things like that. We also know that Blade is going to be a part of Phase 5. We have the Agatha Harkness series is now confirmed, by the way, which is going to be called Agatha Coven of, of Chaos. So not the title that we were expecting, but who cares? Also in Phase 5, very interesting Thunderbolts, Captain America, New World Order. That's going to be the new Captain America movie, but sandwiched in there, Daredevil, Born Again. Yep, Charlie Cox, Vincent D'Onofrio are back. Daredevil has been saved all of these years later. It's finally happening, but here's the here's the other deal. Going to be the yellow suit this time. And, and the title and the yellow suit should be your first two clues. So I want to talk about this for a second. I want to pause on the whole faces thing. Talk about Daredevil for a second. This should be your first clue that this is not going to be the Daredevil that you saw on Netflix. And whether that's a good thing for you or a bad thing for you, that is the signal that they're giving. Is that born again, it's saying that for a reason. Yellow suit, saying that for a reason. This is them distancing themselves from that show to make sure you realize before you even get into this that it's not going to be that show. And if, hey, they, hey, if they go the Matt Fraction route, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing is wrong with that. But the problem is you cast anybody else's Daredevil and there's going to be a problem because fans love Charlie Cox. You, you've already introduced Kingpin into the MCU. You're not going to walk that back with Vincent D'Onofrio and you're not going to introduce a new villain at this stage of Daredevil. You're just not, especially if you're going to be kind of quasi turning the page on the character anyway. Now, no other names confirmed any of that stuff. We know that there's going to be 18 episodes. Now, is that going to be all 18 episodes in this upcoming season that's going to be coming out in phase five? I don't know that I can go that far. We don't know that for sure. We just know we're getting for sure 18 episodes of Daredevil, and that's pretty awesome. Could that be split up between six I mean, three six-episode seasons? Yeah, certainly could. I mean, you could break it up in any number of ways. Or two ep- or two nine-episode seasons, you could also do that. I think it's just good that we're getting this, period. 
because this also opens the door for a lot of possibilities for Daredevil and those characters that were on the Marvel Netflix series. So happy that we're getting this. But but again, I think you, you need to hedge your expectations a little bit here if you think it's going to be exactly the same as it was. I mean, it's not going to be until the spring of 2024. A lot of things can happen. But it just seems like we're getting a lot of signals that, hey, not going to be the same thing. Yes, we've got Ironheart mixed in there as well. We saw we actually saw Riri Williams in the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer. Again, I'm going to save that for a little bit later. I think Thunderbolts is an exciting possibility. Captain America New World Order and pushing that to May of 2024 is interesting. I mean, will we see Anthony Mackie before then? I don't know. I, I, that also gives them a chance to walk back some stuff from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, though, that they might not have wanted in a Captain America movie. Having Guardians in there as well. James Gunn says this is going to put kind of put the clothes to this particular group of Guardians of the Galaxy characters, which we kind of already figured anyway. You know you've got Loki and the Marvels put in there as well. So Phase 5 actually looking really, really strong, looking a lot stronger than Phase 4 did. As far as I'm concerned, of all the phases, I think that they kind of stumbled a bit in Phase 4. And I think that even, you know, if you pushed the folks at Marvel a little bit, they'd, they'd probably be happy that you're... Uh, that you're actually going to be forgetting about Phase 4 here pretty soon. There was some good stuff, but also some questionable stuff as well. And then we get a little bit of a look at Phase 6 as well, where we know that's when where Fantastic Four is going to land. And doesn't look like that's actually going to kick off Phase 6, though. There's a Fall 2024 date in there. Whatever that is looks like it's going to be the kickoff for Phase 6. Then we also know we've got Avengers the Kang Dynasty to look forward to, and we've also got Avengers Secret, War, Secret Wars which is going to close out Phase 6. And we've got the Multiverse Saga mixed in there as well. That's a strong lineup presented at Hall H for Comic-Con this year. I'll be honest, that, that is way more than I would have expected. Now we're going to get more details at, at D23? I'm positive that we are. Are we going to get the rest of Phase 6? Not positive about that, but certainly likely that we'll get more information on Phase 6. And I think that that's where we'll get a couple more trailers as well. And a little bit more of a look at things. But I mean, if you look at the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer, you want to talk about emotional. That trailer was very emotional. And hearing the Queen say that she lost her family, how much more can I give? That was the line that got me the most in that trailer. That that was just gut-wrenching. And seeing everybody again, just so emotional. But then your eye can't help but go to Namor in this trailer. I know the, 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 you get past the emotional part of this thing and then you bring Namor in and, and it's, for me, it's like, this is what I was hoping for in this movie. Even before Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman tragically passed, this is what I was kind of hoping for. I wanted them to bring in Namor to have that war with the Wakandans brought in to the MCU. I think that that was something that a lot of fans we're looking forward to and then there's the whole well now that T'Challa is gone who's going to take up that mantle and we don't really get that answer in this first trailer nor do I want that answer in this first trailer I want that question mark to be out there we get little bits and pieces of other things as well there's a water birth in this which I thought was really 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 neat there's a lot of really great visuals in this trailer but also a lot of questions left unanswered, and that's what a first trailer is supposed to do. But bringing the emotion in and just kind of setting you up for, hey, this is going to be, you know, you better bring a box of tissues for this thing because you're going to be crying your eyes out, at least in the beginning 
of this movie, if not the whole way through. Now, this is going to be coming out November 11th of this year. So just be mentally prepare yourself now for this. And right before I move on from Marvel, finding out that X-Men 97, the animated series, is going to be canon in the MCU, that's interesting. Although, I mean, once you crack the multiverse window open, there's really, you you throw out anything saying, well, is it going to be connected here? Is that how they're going to introduce the X-Men? Is that the look that they're going for? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But you can also say, hey, ah, it's the multiverse. And you just dismiss that entirely when fans start to ask you that question. So that was one little interesting nugget. They came out of that panel for Marvel Marvel Animation and Disney Plus and Marvel TV. They came out of that particular panel, which was not in Hall H. As I move on from that, I want to go to AMC real quick because they actually had a lot of surprisingly good news as well. The Walking Dead panel reveals that Andrew Lincoln is returning as Rick Grimes. Dana Guerrera is coming back as Michonne. And yes, we are going to be getting a Walking Dead spinoff series with Rick and Michonne in 2023. Six episodes. Scott M. Gimple going to be the showrunner. Now, remember, she goes off to find him when Rick disappears in season nine. So... Is that where is what that what this is going to be about? It kind of seems like that's it, that is what it's going to be about, and we're only getting six episodes. This is not the Rick Grimes movie, though. Apparently, this is a different thing. So how that kind of ties into that and where that story could, maybe that kind of gives us a clue of where we're going to go with that. But when I was at the Walking Dead press conference, they they kind of alluded to there's a lot of stuff coming, and some of it actually hasn't been announced yet either. But this is certainly once the flagship series ends, this is going to be far from the enemy. We've got Tales from the Walking Dead come out, coming out in a couple weeks. So knowing that we've got Rick Grimes coming back like for sure confirmed, I think was big news at Comic-Con. But then you move on from the Walking Dead and you look at Anne Rice's interview with the vampire, which is going to be coming the series on October the 2nd to AMC. And you look at that trailer and, the, I mean, you want to talk about some strong acting performances. They certainly had that in this trailer as well. And then you got the the back and forth between Louis and, and, and Lestat. And if you're a fan of the books, you're going, okay, this isn't like a page-for-page adaptation of this thing. Why can't I get that? Well, do you, do you really want that? You've read the book, right? You love the book? Do you need to see it like page-for-page page adapted? I, I just, I've never understood why anybody would want that because you know exactly what you're going to expect every time. This one takes some liberties for sure, but I was at the press conference for that series as well. And everybody involved from the actors to the creative team, to the set designer, all expressed such, express such a deep love for Anne Rice's source material and wanting to do that justice. But everybody wants to tell their own story at the same time. So you do justice to the source material And then you tell your story and you see what happens. And I think that that's the best way you can go about it. Like like changing a few things up with Claudia. I don't see the the harm in that necessarily. And there's got to be a reason that they're doing it to forward the story. So I think it was actually a strong first trailer. Not only do you get some strong acting performances, that's clearly going to be a hallmark for this series. But I mean, even the, the design of the set as well looked amazing. You also have this just this just really, really strong vibe between this cast. I think so. Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Yeah, I got more coverage for that coming up 
right around the premiere. So make sure you stick around for that. The one thing that really surprised me is that DC, through all the fanfare, bringing The Rock to Hall H, having Dwayne Johnson rise up, dressed as Black Adam. Was that a cool moment? Absolutely. You saw, you've probably seen it all over TikTok and all over Instagram and YouTube and all that stuff. Very cool moment in Hall H. But at the same time, you give me basically nothing as far as big movie news is concerned, big TV news. Now they're animated stuff. Yeah, they give us a lot of that. I mean, we, we saw stuff for Batwheels. You know, Harley had its premiere at Comic-Con. Yes, I will have my Harley Quinn review coming up next week. And actually, watch for that, too, throughout the week as well. Going to be bringing some special stuff to TikTok. We're now on TikTok, by the way. Going to be bringing some special stuff to TikTok and Instagram and things like that coming up. So be ready for that. But that's not the point. My point, to get back to it, is you gave me basically nothing. Basically nothing in the way of big news. Stuff that you're going to forget about tomorrow or right after it happens. Did they give us a Shazam trailer? Sure. You know that's coming out December 21st. Does it look fun? Sure it does. Does it look like Billy Batson is is wondering, you know, if he's worthy of being a hero or not? Yeah, we see that. We get to see Helen Mirren's character which kicking ass all over the place and giving everybody fits. And, you know, the team kind of distancing themselves, it looks like, from Billy in this trailer, too. And obviously it looks like they come together and things like that. So there's no real surprises in this first trailer. You're going to watch Shazam because you think it's fun or you like Zachary Levi or you just think it's a, it's a nice break from what you usually get from a superhero movie. And that's what Shazam is going to bring you with Shazam Fury of the Gods. I believe that. But at the same time, you know, as far as big news goes, it's just it really fell flat. And it looked like there was not a ton of effort there as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, unless you want to, you don't give enough credit to the DC animated movies. Because they announced their slate, which was Legion of the Superheroes, Batman the Doom that came to Gotham, Justice League and Ruby Superheroes and Huntsman Part 1, and Justice League War World, which looks like it's going to be freaking bonkers from, you know, just from, you know, what I know about the War World story. Anyway, and those character designs are going to be very interesting once those come out. And, And again, you didn't really give me any looks at that or anything, but now I know it's coming, and that's at least something different to be excited about coming up in 2023. Beyond that, what are you what are you doing? Especially when you look at what Marvel did and some others did as well. You, you gave me you're supposed to this is supposed to be a moment for you to shine. And from the very beginning, before you even got there, you just, just kind of went, eh. And what was funny is it's not like, you know, Marvel could have easily done that. With D23 coming up, you're like, ah, you know, we got our own thing coming up in a couple weeks. We're going to announce all of our stuff there. We're just going to, you know, take a pass on Comic-Con. They didn't do, not only did they not do that, they blew the freaking doors off Hall H. And DC has a chance. Now, I get it. They've got fandom. They've got their own virtual thing. I understand that. But DC had a chance to really make a mark on Comic-Con and didn't. That's depressing. Quite frankly, as somebody who's a huge DC fan, that's depressing. It's not like they had nothing to talk about. There's plenty of stuff they could have done and just didn't. Didn't give me a first look at Blue Beetle. I'm not even talking about a trailer. I'm just talking about the, a, a suit reveal. It's already been, you know, the set photos are all over the place. Could have given me anything on Batgirl. A teaser, something. Gave me nothing. Those Henry Cavill rumors turned out to be BS as 
kind of we expected. Anyway, now Dwayne Johnson spoke very highly of him, but that doesn't mean he's going to be in the movie or go anywhere. Doesn't mean he's coming back as Superman just because Dwayne Johnson likes him. That's helpful, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I was just very disappointed in the effort from DC this year. Super, super disappointed. But I'm going to move on from that now because Keanu Reeves basically had his own panel at Comic-Con. That's how popular Keanu Reeves is. I mean, he put Berserker up there, his, his, his comic book series, put that up there on display. But then he's like, you know what? Yeah, let's talk about some John Wick 4. Even brought a trailer with him. How about that? And this, this really kind of looks like the John Wick is finally outnumbered thing. But isn't that just kind of his, isn't that kind of his deal? And he just powers through it. Now, could this be the t- could this finally be the time where John Wick finally dies? Does he get his in this fourth movie? I mean, I hope not, but you never know. It certainly looks like the, it, you know there's some dire circumstances in this in this trailer, but man, the action's off the charts. These these John Wick, Wick movies kind of came out of nowhere and have taken on a life of their own, and I love that. Not just for Keanu Reeves, but just for the action movie genre in general. These movies have added so so much. Can't wait. For this fourth one really quick i want to sneak in some of the star trek news as well because boy was there some interesting star trek news how about this lower decks which by the way season three coming out on august 25th we know that for sure there's going to be a star trek lower decks strange new worlds crossover that's going to be coming up in season two of strange new worlds now you're thinking how how the hell are they going to do that it's going to be live action and animation too by the way and it's going to be Tawny Newsom bringing Ensign Becker Mariner and Ensign Brad Boilermer, played by Jack Quaid, going to be the two members of Lower Decks that are going to join the Enterprise in Season 2 of Strange New Worlds. This is going to be directed, too, by the way, by Jonathan Frakes, if you want to throw that out there. Now, plot details, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. No, none of that yet. The fact that we're even getting this, the fact that they're even attempting this, is like, this is the kind of effort that I want to see from my favorite properties. And Star Trek's going all out. Even if you don't like all of the shows that are on Paramount Plus right now, you got to admire the effort, for sure. And Strange New Worlds was fantastic. Lower Decks is fun for what it is. You know, just just put that out there. How these worlds come together, no idea. But somebody does. Somebody had this idea, and they're actually freaking doing it. And that is to be commended. For sure. Could it be a huge disaster? Sure, it could be a huge disaster. But you know what? This is a big swing, and it's worth taking, I think. And you know your worlds are already connected anyway. You knew that Strange New Worlds was connected to Discovery. We already knew that. So now you're connecting Lower Decks a little bit more as well, and you're propping that show up with a show that fans seem to universally love in Strange New Worlds. Nothing wrong with any of that. But then you kind of, you know, then you throw Picard in there. And Picard always seems to just kind of get thrown in there when you talk about Star Trek, right? Not saying I don't like it. Not saying it doesn't get its, its, its due. But it always seems to be the throw-in in any Star Trek conversation when it comes to panels and things like that. So we get character posters for season three. And it's kind of like, you know, the how it started, how it's going sort of thing. Where, you know, you remember where they were in Next Generation and you look at the characters' posters now and you're like, damn, Worf got old. That was my first takeaway from that, was how old Worf looked. And Patrick Stewart just looks amazing. I'm not saying he looks the same as he did back then. It's not. It's close. Doesn't look the same and none, none of them do. But, like, I looked at Worf. I was like, man, they really, they aged him. Like, what happened? what's happened to Worf 
in all of this time? Can we can we talk about that? Can we check on him, see if he's okay? What kind of stress has he been through? That's a lot of gray, man. What's going on there? <laughs> that, that was my first takeaway from those posters of, of Season 3 of Picard. We'll find out in 2023 when that show debuts. But that, to me, was the biggest news of Comic-Con this year. There's a ton of other stuff. I'll be covering that at downandnerdypodcast.com, which you should be going to anyway. Also, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram. I mentioned that we're on TikTok now. That's at downandnerdypod. That's where you can find us on TikTok. Some of the stuff that you've seen on Instagram are already going to be putting up there. But yeah, there'll be some new stuff on TikTok coming up here soon as well. And just all over social media, look for us. And also make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to us on the Realm app now as well. If you want to go that route, if you already have the Realm app, of course, we're a proud Realm partner. Really, really looking forward to growing that relationship as, as much as we possibly can. But remember, even though Comic-Con is over, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.